1: introducing Barker and Stonehouse Garden Furniture. Find inspiration for your outdoor space with our stylish collections of garden furniture and accessories now with up to 25% off. Visit one of our 11 nationwide stores or find us online at barkerandstonehouse.co.uk.
2: Hello, and welcome back to Wisley and the RHS Gardening Podcast. As summer heats up, Some gardens in the UK are at their most beautiful and also at their most needy. Thirsty plants in beds, borders and baskets are at their most demanding, requiring the attention of us and our watering cans. We'll be hearing some useful summer plant care advice from our RHS Garden Advice team later on in the podcast. My name's Peter Jones and I'm Garden Manager for the Hardy Ornamental section here at Wisley. Currently I'm set in the green lush setting of our foliage garden. Some of the areas that I look after here vary from Battleston Hill and the Arboretum right the way down to the Heather Garden and our new grass Garden. As we move into August, some of my garden highlights are really the hydrangeas in the garden. Battleston Hill, at the moment, is awash with colour. Things like the hydrangea paniculatus, ones like hydrangea paniculata vanilla phrase, starts off at a limey kind of green colour, then fades into a really pure cream. And as the season progresses, it goes into a really vivid pink. So the flowers have got so much to offer. And so these are the tall hydrangeas, and elsewhere on the hill we have the really colourful, showy mophead macrophilas. So we've specifically planted these at the top of Battleston Hill so that they draw you into the other parts of the garden so that you can see some of the hidden treasures and gems that we've got here in the garden. Once you've been drawn into Battleston Hill, there's some lovely paths that take you deep down into an area called the dell, which is a secret basin area, full of jungle-like foliage, full of things like tetrapanics, the Chinese paper plant, large bananas, uh, lots of luxurious ferns, and a small stumpery, which at this time of year is really in full growth, and you'll even see bananas flowering and producing small fruit. So while being in the dell satisfies our need for that green, lush, jungly foliage... As we move to other parts of the garden, uh, colour can take over. And as we go down towards our heather garden, it is a riot of colour with all the different heathers in full flower, filled with bees, Um, so great for our pollinators and our wildlife. And towards that, we've just finished planting our new grass garden, which will be filled with wands of flowers from the grasses, such as the Cordeterios and the Miscanthus and I'm quite fortunate. I live quite close to Wisley, and just through at the bottom of the garden is my little patch, and at this time of year, it's full of dahlias, so very, very colourful. One of my personal favourites is a dahlia called Emery Paul, which produces really vivid pink flowers, almost the size of your head, and it requires quite a bit of staking, but it's so satisfying when it all comes out. In my garden, I'm not too fussy with colour it's generally anything and everything it's um everything from oranges to purples to pinks especially at this time of year i like to sew annuals as well around my dahlia so i've got lots of verbena hastata and lots of lichness and lots of cosmos coming up as well through the flower patch So the kind of jobs that I'm looking at in my garden at the moment, so especially in my daily patch, I like to keep on top of staking, so regularly deadheading the plants so that the old flowers aren't there and uh, stopping new flowers from coming through. But also we've been having quite a bit of rain recently and that can actually start to throw the plant around. So I always have a nice, good, strong centre cane and then a simple string tie around at about two or three levels. Also in my garden, I'm tackling the arduous task of doing my hedges, as we are at Wisley. So at the moment, we've got the entire garden team out hedge cutting, normally every day. It's quite a mammoth task. that takes about three to eight weeks, a similar sort of time in my garden as well. It's not one that I particularly look forward to. What I also like to do at this time of year is take a little stock and take a little time and look about what I want to change over the autumn winter period. So thinking about what plants I want to be lifting and dividing over the autumn period, because now I'm seeing them at their time when they're at the most full so where i have gaps in my garden and where i want to move things around so i start to do my planning at this time of year and thinking about what i want my garden to look like next year what things i want to be sowing what plants i want to be growing and where i need to start pulling out my finger and doing a little bit more work one thing that i think is very important for all gardens to do at this time of year when plants are in their full growth is never underestimate the importance of feeding your plants and giving back to the soil so I even at this time of year I do give some of my plants a a quick top-up, a quick going over with chicken manure pellets just to make sure that they've got the nutrients they need to continue growing and also to put that energy back into their roots ready for the coming year. August is really a superb month to come to Wisley and there is so much to see horticulturally. The garden is uh, completely alive but also we've got a rather wonderful sculpture trail featuring some beautiful Henry Moore pieces and Lynn Chadwick's, which really add an extra dimension to the garden and make you appreciate it in a whole new way. Another event at Wisley, which is really close to my heart, is Walkies at Wisley. This is an evening event on Wednesday the 21st of August from six to eight where we allow our members and paying adults to bring in their dogs and enjoy and explore the garden so our four-legged friends can enjoy it as well it's an event that i really enjoy especially as my dog freddie is the poster boy for this event and particularly proud You can find links and details for all our events at Wisley and all our other RHS gardens at our homepage at rhs.org.uk forward slash podcast. Remember, being a member of the RHS means that you get free entrance to all our gardens as well as all our other perks. One of those is access to the expert knowledge of our horticultural advisory team. They offer information and insights into all manner of garden problems which you can discuss in person at our gardens or at shows and also speak on the phone and we have an online service as well. Let's join some of our garden advisors now and hear about some of the issues that have been plaguing our gardeners this summer.
3: Hi I'm Becky Mealy. Hi
4: I'm
5: Chris Taylor.
3: Hello I'm Marcia Peacock. So today's questions are from our new online system. And our first question is on hanging baskets. Hanging baskets, what are the best materials to use to create hanging baskets that retain moisture and don't crisp plants? Are there particular plant combinations to use for more resistance to dry conditions? So, Marcy, what do you think? Um, I mean, hanging baskets, there's, you know, they are in vogue at the moment. They're getting more popular. What are the best combinations for a hanging basket?
5: Um, The plant combinations, I think sort of, well, firstly, having sort of really good coverage and having it full, if you can sort of cover the compost, then it's less likely to dry out. But um, certain plants are more drought tolerant and ones that are suitable for hanging baskets would be pelargoniums, scaevola, the fan flower, glandularias, which used to be called verbenas, sort of the annual verbenas are now glandularias. Quite a nice trailing plant with, with silver leaves is Dichondra, Argentia Silver Falls.
3: I like that one. I like it when you've just got that one in a basket. It looks very elegant all in just one.
5: Yeah, and it does sort of trail down a long way. Similarly, you could use Helichrysum petiolare, but I would go with sort of the smaller-leaved ones just because they can get quite big for a basket. Also, almost sort of slightly succulent plants like Della sperma are, are very drought-resistant.
3: Chris, um, what compost would we be looking to put in the hanging baskets?
5: Well, I think any good multi-purpose,
4: preferably peat-free, is good. But I also think that um, it's the actual materials that the hanging basket are made out of. So if, for instance, you've got a plastic pot that's suspended on wires, that is going to hold moisture better than a a wire basket however of course if you're thinking about the environment you might not want to use plastic you might prefer a wire one but you'll need to line it we suggest things like cardboard and also recycled fabrics can also be used as liners if you're thrifty you can try moss from your lawn in the autumn and then Lining your basket with that. And actually moss is really good at retaining uh, moisture. It acts like a sponge essentially. But you need a good thick layer.
3: Also scrunched up newspaper sometimes to line the bottom. That helps like act as a bit of a reservoir. Um, You can actually get some new hanging baskets that actually have a reservoir at the bottom just to hold it. Yeah and it's just keeping an eye on your hanging baskets isn't it. And feeding them regularly to keep them nice and lush and growing strong. Mm. And
4: I would consider also using water-retaining granules too. I don't know if you've used those masks yet.
5: I've generally not sort of been a big fan in the past, but I do think sort of possibly for hanging baskets it is one of those instances where they're they're quite good. You need to bear in mind to add the right amount if you sort of put too much in, that when they do swell up, they can then push up the plants.
3: Yeah, which my dad did on his um, planter in the front garden. So he, he thought, oh, yeah, add an extra scoop. Next me. goes down to get his paper, comes back and all his plants have been pushed out of his pots. It's like, like, like oh, what, what's happened? And it was just because he'd put too much swell gel in. So mm. do follow the instructions.
4: So even though it's summer, obviously we can get storms happening, potentially quite heavy downpours. Um, And we've had a question from somebody concerned that that might wash the fertiliser out of the soil when they're growing tomatoes. Um, Will it wash it away? And should they be fertilising more, perhaps, to counter that?
3: I think timing is the thing. So if you you know there's going to be a heavy downpour, it's probably, okay. I'm going to hold off from feeding it today and then maybe feed it, the following day the thing with tomato feed you are applying it so regularly during the growing season so you're probably applying it every two to three weeks that actually doesn't really matter so much during the growing seasons because you are applying it so often also depends what your plants are growing in they're so actively growing I mean I I sometimes think it's I don't actually feed my plants as much as I should because I'm a bit tight and (laughs) I don't like to spend too much money on them. So, yeah, I I don't think it's so much a thing to worry too much about, really. Mm. I think
4: most people prefer to grow their tomatoes indoors because then you prevent blight mostly. That can be a problem when you're growing tomatoes outdoors. But you're, you're growing some outdoors, aren't you, Marcia, this um,
5: year? Yeah, this year I'm, I'm growing them on my allotment. And, you know, it's sort of previously when we first got the allotment, we were told that, you know, don't even bother growing tomatoes. They will get blight. So I've sort of grown some blight resistant ones from seed and they're growing quite well. Generally, like Becky, I don't, you know, I don't feed quite as regularly as I should, because it's quite a free draining soil. I, I would kind of assume that even if I had just put a liquid fertilizer on, and then there was a heavy downpour, given that the roots are going to be sort of anywhere in the top sort of thirty centimeters, twelve inches of of the soil, you know, it washing down a bit is not a problem anyway. No. Okay, so we've had a question from someone asking, how can I stop my containers getting waterlogged and like mini ponds? With new ones, what's the best way to fill them to improve drainage? Should I use crocks?
3: So I'm assuming with the new pots, they're referring to potentially plastic ones. It's all to do with the actual hole at the bottom and what the container's made out of. So if it's made out of terracotta or a more of a porous material, the water evaporates on the sides. So you need to keep an eye on watering a bit more so they don't tend to get waterlogged too much. And it also depends what compost you put in there as well. So some of the peat-free compost can sit a little bit too wet at the bottom. So by adding grit or perlite or vermiculite to open up the mixture, that'll help with the water retention too.
4: Yeah, I think that can be a better idea than maybe using a lot of crocks in the bottom of the pot to improve drainage. Um, It's actually yeah, mixing that drainage material throughout the compost. So you've got a good, better draining compost. Pot feet can help if the pot's sat on a a flat surface. Sometimes you can get soil plugs in the bottom of the the pot. And again, you, you might not notice this. But uh, water will start collecting in the bottom of the pot and then that can rot the roots, which is um, obviously not good for the plants. You might not notice it until your plants start going yellow. So I would say when you're watering, make sure the water is, is actually, you know, water it thoroughly and make sure the water is running out of the bottom of the hole and then you know you haven't got a plug there.
3: So, during the summer months, the lawn can really take a hammering, and this next question is about lawn care. Should I spike my lawn to prevent build up of wet mud patches and hard mud plaques? So this is kind of what happens when it 's been really, really dry, and then you get a deluge of rain um, and the compaction so yeah chris i mean what 's the best way forward? Well,
4: you do see it, don't you, when um, when you get a really heavy downpour and the, the water just sits on, on the surface. And I think it can be a bit of a shock to see that. And it l- almost looks like it's waterlogged. Uh, you know, it's not because very often it's dry underneath. And I think it's just that um, because the lawn's so dry, it becomes almost hydrophobic. Mm. We do get people writing in um, that have a problem with dry patch in their lawn, which is actually a a fungal infection in the lawn that stops water from penetrating the lawn because the fungi that live amongst the roots of the the grass, they don't damage it, but they do resist the water and stop it going in. So that could be a potential problem, but it could be just that the the lawn's dry. Usually, after a few hours, it goes into the lawn or or it will evaporate.
3: Yeah, I mean, spiking... Is an option if you've got quite a big puddle and you want to, or maybe you've got a barbecue happening and you want to make sure that there's not a a big muddy puddle in the bottom of your garden. And and with the dry patch, that is helping to spike, to relieve the dry patch would be Mm. good. A lot of lawn care is better done in the spring and the autumn rather than the actual summertime. So you have to prepare your lawn in those seasons to be able to withstand a harsh sound. Yeah.
4: And machines, are, you, you you can do it with a fork, but you can use machines, can't you, as well,
5: Marcy? Yeah, you can sort of just hire an aerating machine. I, I mean, I think hollow-tine aerators are worth using. You're actually taking a plug... Of, of the soil out and then you'd just sort of top dress and then brush in that afterwards so you're relieving compaction I think that's better done you know maybe sort of once every two or three years if you've got quite a heavy clay soil
3: over the years that's just going to improve the drainage yeah but that definitely needs to be done in the autumn yeah time, that's just an because, autumn yeah, job yeah, because yeah. Summer, summertime it's just like let the lawn relax and do its thing
4: yeah because you know when it's in active growth it's thickening up or
5: it should be thickening up nicely and you don't want to disturb that. We've had a question from someone who's just bought a, a new house in Norwich um, they have a lawn and new empty borders on two sides of the lawn. They'd like suggestions of a couple of shrubs that provide year-round interest And also some plants that will provide flowers for colour in August and early September, which is a time of year where their children have their birthdays, so they have parties in the garden, so they want it to look nice and colourful.
3: Well, at the moment, hydrangeas are looking absolutely stunning. I was at my friend's last night and she's got these big billowing clouds of blue flowers. And, and the, the beauty with hydrangeas, you've got different flower shapes and mm-hmm. types and colours.
4: And, of course, when they go over, even w- when the flower um, finishes, um, you get those really nice russet tones to them often in the autumn. It, it's good to have year-round interest. I think things like, you know, there are flowering shrubs, um, things like Escalonia flower for quite a long time potentilla is a really good one that that will go on
5: but any ideas uh, i think other evergreen shrubs that you know that look good most of the year round mahonias lavenders nandina domestica in particular is, is a really nice shrub and choisias are a very good value they sort of you know they're evergreen but they flower for a long time and a nice scent as well mm And the uh,
4: person was particularly looking for something that would be, perhaps give a bit of colour late on in the late summer and early autumn, perhaps at the end of the holidays when they're having parties. And I I thought of amnifofia grape for late summer colour. And there's a short one called Traffic Lights. Three different colours in one flower. And it's quite short. And so if somebody kicked a ball at it, The flower would probably withstand that if there was a kid's party. But again, things like Alstroemeria, Dahlia um, will go on right until the frosts. Gowra um, are very good.
3: Budlears. I mean, budlears are great for kids as well because they can watch the butterflies and the insects on mm. them. Um, and they are very robust so that they won't mind the odd football heading in their way. And the other thing is hibiscus, especially late summer, hibiscus mm. are beautiful flowers. And mm. it's, it's nice to actually have a shrub with that kind of big flower on as well.
4: Mm. Yeah, they look quite tropical.
3: Yeah.
4: Uh, we've had a question about sweet peas every year. My sweet peas fail um, and they only seem to feed the slugs. Um, I know I've had them on mine, but what can you do about them?
3: Yeah, I think it's making sure that where, at the seedling stage, making sure where you're having them grow is nice and clean and good hygiene because slugs are very good at hiding around nooks and crannies. It's the good old practising good hygiene in your greenhouse or your growing space um, and putting the odd bit of beer trap out and then just regularly checking them. Sweet peas like a good nice long root run, so making sure they've got in a nice tall pot or one of those um, root training pots before you're planting them out. And again, when you're when you're growing them in the garden, once you've planted them, it's getting them off and going. Sweet peas are very hungry, so liquid feed is the key. But I would definitely go for something like a balanced feed, so something like miracle Grow or Maxi-Crop, just to make sure you're giving them enough nitrogen to grow up big and strong so that they're not really going to be stressed out too much by the odd slug. My dad swears by putting grass cuttings in the bottom of the trench, so he digs a nice big deep trench, puts fresh grass cuttings in, so it's like a reservoir for them to get their feet into once they get going. And he always has amazing sweet peas, so he must be doing something right.
2: You can find links for information on all the topics we've discussed today on our programme page. Plus, there are also details on summer garden events such as the RHS Hyde Hall Flower Show near Chelmsford in Essex, which is chocked full of specialist nurseries, garden sundries, crafts and gifts, and we have live music and tasty food and drink for all. It runs until the 4th of August and is free with normal garden entry. Let's hear what else visitors can enjoy at Wisley.
6: My name is Emma Allen. I'm a garden manager here at RHS Garden Wisley and I look after the glasshouse uh, the rock garden and alpine team and the formal ornamental areas. So at this time of year in August the teams are mainly watering due to the hot weather and Wisley tends to be quite dry so watering is a big priority for us here. We're also feeding the plants because it's such intensive horticulture we've got lots of plants planted close together and we've got quite a lot of plants in containers so they like to be fed. Regularly to keep them nice and green and flowering. We also do quite a lot of deadheading at this time of year, particularly on the roses in the rose garden and sometimes some emergency staking where plants have either the original stake hasn't worked very well or they've got a bit taller or knocked over by the wind. I think the main challenge for gardeners, particularly in this part of the country, uh, Surrey is quite dry, Weasley is often particularly dry and the rain quite often misses us by just a few miles and we're also on sand here this summer has been a little bit easier but last summer we had no rain for four months so watering is a huge challenge for us here and I think we had a very dry spring this year the summer's not been quite as dry as last year but it's still been fairly dry and warm and I think if that trend continues that's going to be an ongoing challenge for us. My particular favourites at this time of year, I'm a big fan of the exotics, the exotic garden is one of my favourite places at Wisley and I really enjoy seeing all the canna flowering and their big juicy exotic leaves and I also really like the dahlia, I think there's a dahlia for everyone, lots of variety in shapes and sizes and colour orange and yellow and pink sometimes with green foliage sometimes it has a bronzy purple foliage which is a really nice contrast and I also really enjoy the hibiscus we've got a lot of hibiscus planted here and they're starting to flower now in August and they'll keep going but I also like a classic rose and the rose garden repeat flowers throughout the summer so that's also a delight. So one of my real pleasures at this time of year is simply enjoying the fruits of one's earlier labour in the year. So when you're doing all that planting in spring and when you're dividing and you're mulching and then finally you get to see all that planning um, come together in a border that's full of flowering plants and I think it's important to enjoy it. So that really is one of my favourite things to do in August is to take time to actually enjoy the garden. I think it's a very important part of gardening.
2: there's so much to enjoy in public gardens and in our own patches. The key is to get outside and create some good memories. I've got memory memories of gardening when I was a child and some particularly favourite ones of mine were planting an orchard in my grandparents' garden. Sadly, my grandparents aren't with me anymore, but I still can go back and think of them while I'm in the orchard. That's it for today, and we'll be back in a fortnight. But I'd like to end on a little bit of advice I was given when training to be a horticulturalist, I was told when I'm struggling to grow those difficult Miscanthus or desperately trying to get that rare rose to flower, always grow something that you can grow well easily because that's the plant that's going to give you maximum enjoyment and really give you the motivation to try those difficult things. You've heard some of my garden highlights and special memories. Now we're going to hear some joyful garden memories from some of our Chelsea garden designers. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.
1: My name is Sarah Ebley. I'm a landscape and garden designer and this is my joyful garden memory. My favourite memories of my garden are really, it was in Devon, we grew up by the sea. My mother was quite a keen gardener, it was very steep and I seem to remember that it took forever for plants to grow which fascinated me really. Because it was on such a slope, we used to unfortunately make quite a mess of mum's plants because we used to toboggan down the banks either on a tray, whether it was snow or not and I can remember being chased around the garden, uh, being told off for causing damage but it built a real relationship with the garden because it was all around play It would take us half a day to work our way up the garden and then we'd go into the woods and we would climb trees and make tree houses and we would take our friends there and uh, show them how to actually hill roll there are always feelings of freedom and excitement and enjoyment and sunshine and snow and this is kind, it is definitely those kind of letting go feelings that you often don't allow yourself to give into as an adult
7: Hi, I'm Chris Beardshaw, garden designer, horticulturalist, lecturer and, well, occasional writer. My earliest recollection of being really excited by gardening was when I was four years old. My grandmother provided me for my fourth birthday with a yellow elephant watering can that had a little red top hat. There was a windowsill propagator and a packet of seeds remember distinctly putting damp tissue paper in the bottom of the propagator scattering the seeds and then putting the lid on top of the propagator and watching them grow and every single one germinated even at the age of four I was marvelling at the magic of watching a seed germinate and strain towards the light and grow and extend and produce a crop So impressed was I that every seed had germinated, I was sure that I had to be a gardener. Unbeknown to me, my grandmother had provided me with a packet of Cress seed. And of course, as you know, every single seed of Cress will always germinate super easy. But the trick was that she knew that in order to get somebody hooked, you had to have success. And really, that's what got me started.